Bienvenue, Amis Dawn Movie Theater Time Machine. I am your narrator, Bob, and I want to thank the panel for allowing me to host this month of fantasy films, hoping to take our minds away uh, from reality, if only for a short time. I would especially like to thank our friends, yes, you, the listener, who take your personal time to hear us do the thing we do, however you get your podcast. Stay tuned, of course, as we will have a brand new theme of movies coming up. Uh, which we'll get to uh, near the end of the program. Now let's turn it over <laughs> to our two romantic couples who are always midnight dreaming. <laughs> Hello, I'm Nick. And I'm Kaz. I'm Dan. I'm Jess. And again, I am Bob. I am your narrator, as I said. So uh, the movie we're looking at today is Midnight in Paris. Uh, wow. Released May 20th, 2011. Thanks, Owen. Uh, the film was, of course, directed by one Woody Allen. Uh, the film made its debut at two, the 2011 Cannes Film Festival on Wednesday, May 11th. Uh, Current it holds a 93% approval rating. Way to go on Rotten Tomatoes. I guess that's one of the, the higher ratings for a Woody Allen film. Uh, the, re- the film uh, received uh, it's got uh, Allen's best reviews uh, with the uh, score on the site since uh, his 1994 uh, film Bullets Over Broadway, another film I recommend that I'd actually like to get into myself at some point. Uh, it's uh, another Woody Allen fantasy film uh, that deals with time travel. is called The Purple Rose of Cairo, a 1985 film. Uh, also, if you're interested, he put out a 1977 short story, uh, The Kugel Mass Episode. Uh, it's about a guy who enters the world of Madame Bovary. Uh, which uh, looks quite interesting. So let's jump into the film. The cast, of course, uh, consists of Owen Wilson as Gil Pender. We have Rachel Adams as Inez. Marianne Cotillard as Adriana. Tom Hiddleston, a uh, low-key actor nobody knows about, uh, plays F. Scott Fitzgerald. I see what you did Allison there. Allison Pill. Sorry? I see what you did there, the low-key actor that nobody knows about. Oh, you picked up on that. Yeah, Thanks. See, I, I, <laughs> what, what, what do you got to get Scott Fitzgerald? <laughs> Allison Pill as Zelda Fitzgerald. Corey <laughs> Stoll as Ernest Hemingway, Bumblebee. Adrian Brody, nobody knows him. Uh, Salvador Dali. Kathy Bates as Gertrude, Gertrude Stein. Michael Sheen, uh, not too well-known British oh, no. actor as Paul Bates, uh, Carla Bruni, uh, the uh, president's wife of France, as the museum guide. Uh, you have Kurt Fuller, who's been that dad or guy you've seen in movies that you'll see him and go, oh yeah, that guy. Uh, he plays John, who's Ina's father, and the very attractive Leia Sadu as Gabrielle. Now she's done some very interesting French films you take the time you can feel free to look them up because i don't want to go into that <laughs> now let's start with the synopsis of the film we have again like i said owen wilson he stars as gil pender wow. a successful american hollywood hack thanks owen a screenwriter who has taken his fiance inez played by rachel adams to paris on vacation since his future father-in-law is on a business trip he's struggling to finish his novel while his fiance seems more enamored of her pretentious friend, and I use friend in quotes, of course, uh, Paul, played again by Michael Sheen, uh, then she does of Gil, and her parents hate Gil because they think, frankly, he's cheap. While Inez goes off with Paul, one evening, uh, Gil wanders the streets of Paris intoxicated and alone 
oddly enough, at midnight. As he passes one particular street, a 1920 Peugeot uh, Landa offers to give him a lift. Suddenly, Gil finds himself at a party chatting with F. Scott Fitzgerald and his wife Zelda, while fuck Cole him. Porter. Excuse me? Oh, why'd you say fuck him? <laughs> what? You want to have sex with him? Why? Oh. <laughs> you said F. Scott Fitzgerald. What do you got against him? Oh, I don't know. That's just how it was written, so I'm just following that. Okay. Yeah, this guy wrote this for me. I think it's fucked. Yeah, I know. God, you're so dirty, Nick. Keep you gotta play that clip. And his wife, Zelda, uh, while Paul Corder, uh, played by Yves Heck, I'm not familiar with his work, uh, plays the piano. I'm sure he's a great guy. He slowly realizes that he's somehow been transported back to 1920s Paris and that he has the rare opportunity to talk to his literary heroes about his upcoming book. While visiting Gill's vision of the Golden Age, he receives insight from The Lost Generation, which includes uh, writing advice from Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he's able to persuade Gertrude, Gertrude Stein uh, to read his manuscript for his novel. And while all this is happening, he falls madly in love with Pablo Picasso's mistress, uh, Adriana, played by Marianne Cotillard. Uh, she's actually a fictional costume designer and a muse for uh, Ernest Hemingway and uh, Picasso, then her boyfriend. Uh, we then jump back into present day, uh, and Gil attempts to steal a pair of earrings, uh, because now he's falls madly in love with Adriana, uh, which he intends to give to her. Uh, but unexpectedly, Inez uh, decides to return to their hotel room, uh, as her father was having uh, pains uh, while away, uh, which prevents him from his plan of action to uh, woo over the love interest, uh, Adriana. Uh, once he finally is able to leave the hotel, Gil buys a new pair of earrings to give to Adriana, in the past, of course, and confesses his love for her as they kiss. Very lovely kiss. A magic horse and carriage appears. It's not magic. It actually legitimately is happening, but it's quite magical how it does appear. Uh, they are, of course, invited to ride with another couple who's on this ride. Uh, to the Belle Epoque, uh, an era that Adriana considers Paris's golden age. Fascinating enough that uh, Gil Pender brought up the same concept earlier in the film. They are taken to the famous Maxim's Paris restaurant and meet such historical figures as Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, uh, Paul Gauguin, and Edgar Degas. Uh, Gil asks, excuse me? Gauguin. I didn't hear that, I'm sorry. Gauguin. Oh, it's Gauguin? Yeah. Oh, thanks. French is weird. There's, there's bizarre pronunciations. All right, and they love to guillotine the ends of words off. That too. So it's not Gauguin? No, it's Gauguin. Gauguin. That sounds like a Godzilla monster. It really does. Gil asks <laughs> their opinion. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and the three fight it to be uh, the Renaissance. Adrian is then in the process, offered a job to design ballet costumes and proposes to Gil that they stay in the time that they're in. This is quite the meta moment for Gil, as he realizes for all the enticement of nostalgia, something he's very uh, interested in, in his desire for the past, uh, it's better to accept the present the way it is, which is Because uh, it's really... got Novocaine. Okay, and it, uh, it also has Valium too, which is uh, the medicine of the future. Uh, Gil returns to the present day 2010 to confront Inez, where uh, she casually admits to sleeping with her, and I use air quotes again, friend, Paul, several times, but feels, yeah, it can simply be forgotten when they return home. 
Gill works up the coverage, which is very impressive on his part, and Owen Wilson's performance, to call off the wedding with Inez, and decides to remain in Paris to pursue his dreams of becoming a writer. So that, in essence, is uh, Midnight in Paris. Uh, some things to talk about in the film. Um, I think the main character of the film is, oddly enough, Paris. Um, so much of uh, Paris is shown for, uh, throughout the intro, and even uh, it plays such a pivotal role throughout the film, which is quite fascinating. Um, some famous landmarks, because I was doing some research uh, as we went along, uh, that show up in the film. If I could pull them up here. I had so many links for this film, folks. Uh, it's crazy. There's <laughs> like so much information. It's unbelievable. I, I gotta say, Let's Paris see. can't be a main character, but it could be a, you know, the setting. Oh, well, supporting mm -hmm. character at least. So, well, he's got well, a the good people, point, though. It, but the the character where the audience is meant to inhabit is Gil. That's true, but, but he I does mean, have a point. So. All right, good. That I mean, I haven't seen a Woody Allen film at all. Like I've seen bits of Annie Hall, and that's really it. So, like, I imagine that it's kind of staples that, I don't know, Bob, maybe you've seen more Woody Allen than I have, but he just, like, shows very long shots of Paris for, like, what seemed to be maybe three, four, five minutes. Oh, God, it went on. At the very beginning. Yeah. And it's it just really getting everybody slowly into it. Yeah. Let's see that that intro has just kind of kept going with the same repetitive horns over and over again. I'm just like, if this keeps going, I'm gonna I'm gonna ram a horn somewhere someone doesn't want one. It was pretty, but I felt like it could have been cut in half. Yes. It was giving me flashbacks to 2001: Space Odyssey, and I hate that movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> but this was this uh, intro to Paris was a lot more watchable than that section at the end of Agreed. Space Odyssey that I'm talking about. My god, it's full of stars. And rain. <laughs> Lots no, of the rain. one with all the f landscapes and the colors yeah, and shit. It's, it, yeah. it goes on and on forever. Oh my god. 2001 kind of went up. I'm not going to say a bit overboard. It went really overboard. That was a pretentious shit movie. It was. That everyone pretends to like. <laughs> I hate oh, it. Yeah. Screw oh. you, internet, if you say otherwise. <laughs> that includes me, so thanks. <laughs> so it reminded me of that, but this this one was Paris. Uh, lots and lots of Paris says so more watchable. Yeah, I mean, what Alan's vision. If you see uh, some of his other films uh, that he has uh, based out of New York, uh, he, he's always. It's almost like um, it's like a tourist attraction of sort. Like he he really wants you to to get into the world of his film. I mean, cinematography plays such a pivotal role in his films, and with something like this, or, I don't know, just go through a catalogs of his movies, and uh, you'll see it. I mean, he just really takes the time to really draw you into the world, and, and that's, that's such an important part of uh, film, is actually getting us, the audience, to, um, to get right into it, so we know where we are. We're in Paris, and, you know, we see all these different... Uh, locations that are so significant to Paris and it just really drawing us in I mean even with uh, 2001 the thing is yeah we have to, as the audience I, I mean we live in this new age of like I need it now give it to me now it has to be right here and now and the thing of the past and you know because he's such a, a classic uh, film director is that you take your time to let the audience get into it I mean 
you know, we're always in a rush. Always, Did you just idealize the past? Huh? Did you just idealize the past? That's such a general statement. Give me more than that. I mean, it kind of seems like the podcast to do it on, you know, the whole time machine. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny and ironic considering the theme of the movie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Come to movie theater time machine to idealize the past. We don't Damn. idealize the past. I have 167 episodes that could show that. That's not necessarily <laughs> idealizing. That's giving an opinion. <laughs> For better or worse. I know. I'm just busting <laughs> people here. <laughs> but, you know, Bob, you, you do have a point, though. I mean, I, I I liked this because it was an easy set, but I wanted to recommend something right off the bat if somebody hasn't seen it. Is It's on Netflix still. If you look up Anthony Bourdain's The Layover, and he, he does – it's one-hour shows. It didn't last that long. But basically, he lands in a city between flights and just explores it. And he had some very specific things to talk about with Paris. And he said, okay, there's all these guides, but here's a great way to show it. And it it reminded me of that watching this. Hmm. So, I mean, I won't give any more detail on that, but just just a blanket recommendation for everybody here and everybody out there. See, I used to watch Color grading was nice. I used to watch No Reservations. Does it have the same kind of feel to that or is it uh, I mean Anthony Bourdain sort just, of. he complained a lot, but that was just kind of his thing. He lands in a city and just eats his way through it. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Like Godzilla. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> He's like, "Okay, I got 24 hours. I'm not going to sleep." I'm just going to go hang out and see what restaurants are here. And that's basically all he does. I thought it was wonderful. Hmm. I cool. like that the, at least the time changed during the uh, different locations. So you yeah. saw it change to sunset to nighttime to obvious yeah. to midnight. I assume it's midnight. True. Let's see. Tell me more about this idea. What? What do you what mean I do? by... Explain to me the idealizing part. That's what, like, what did I say that <laughs> triggered that? <laughs> um, did I offend you? Oh, I just, I'm trying to figure out. I actually, I went back and looked the definition up. I'm trying to understand what exactly I said. You were talking about how people in the present want things now. Yeah. How everything was do. kind of more <laughs> relaxed in the past, which, you know, yeah. to a certain extent, that's, I guess, uh, a little more desirable. But then again... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I like my Novocaine. Yeah, relaxed is a very, like, general term, though. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of stuff in the past wasn't really talked about or, right. like, put out there. So while, yes, on the surface, very, very calm. But if you go further and deeper, it really wasn't. True. It's a nice thing to think about. But in practice, no. I was thinking about that when I was watching some of the scenes, and I'm always like, man, I would love to go into a 1920s jazz club. And it reminded us of me of the experience like when Kaz and I were in the Liberty Theater in New York, and people kept asking us whether the, like the, the women's group we were with was a book club or what was the problem with it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, I would love to see this, but then like... You think about all the hard times that happened, how, like, 
diseases. Diseases, problems, issues, social issues. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, it would be great to experience the music in that way, but when you take the entirety of the of it... And Fuck like, racism. Yeah, yeah racism. The, the racism was, was rampant. But uh, yeah. but they treated Sex everything too, yeah. they, they treated everything with cocaine. So I mean, there's something to be said. Oh, that's longer ago than that. I like okay. penicillin. I, I don't know antibiotics. Yes, yeah. this whole thing hinges on um, Gil realizing I have this dream about being chased by a dentist. I like Novocaine. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. his big realization that it's bad to live in the past. Not just. Fuck discrimination. That's not even on his radar. That doesn't even show no. up. Yeah, because he's white. Family friendly would. version. Yeah. I like Novocaine. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why do you keep doing that? Because that's an Owen Wilson thing. Yep. <laughs> and he hasn't really said wow that much. He did say wow on this, though. He twice. did twice. Yep. yep. And I was so happy. I knew it was, too. It was at the very end, too. <laughs> Oh, wow, how are wow. you? Oh, I was wow. like, yes. Did you point at the screen and go, ah? I kind of did. Yeah, see, this this one, I don't know. Owen Wilson is, like, my least favorite of the Wilsons. He is, like, Wilson the lesser to me. Like, mm. I, I prefer Luke Wilson and the volleyball <laughs> to <laughs> Owen Wilson. I watched Idiocracy last night, so. Like, yes, proper, proper Wilsons. <laughs> Idiocracy is great. Idiocracy is like the opposite. Oh yeah, I I balanced oh, yeah. out my night. Yeah, and it really is it really is distressing how much it's actually more of a prophecy than anything else now. But but anyway, anyway go ahead, Bob. We're not about that movie today, Bob. Continue oh, on. We've, we've sidetracked enough. All right. So key uh, locations in the film. Uh, Paris. I have a lot of them. So Bob, yeah. I can say this. This is the only film I've watched so far that I had to take notes. Nice. Had to or wanted to? I wanted to. I had to. Because I wasn't going to remember all of it. I thought it was a pretty well-made movie, even though I have things to say about it. Me too. Oh, I like the color grading. Yes. that Everything has a golden look. Yes. So some famous spots in the uh, the movie uh, was Monet's Garden in I think that was the uh, the first thing we see in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is apparently located uh, just west of Paris. I guess people go on it for like a, a day trip. Uh, it's uh, quite an inspired, inspiring uh, landscape. Uh, it was inspired by Monet. Uh, and it's actually where the uh, the couple, uh, they realize that they're... I feel it's like a really uh, important scene because it sets up how... Gil is uh, connected to Paris and how much he wants to uh, share this experience with his uh, then fiance Inez. Um, so it's actually, I don't feel, it's like very critical uh, to getting, uh, just like getting us into the film to establish that these are two characters who uh, want to love each other, but as the film develops, obviously that changes, but it's, uh, it's significant enough. Uh, the, the fascinating thing is when uh, the Paul, uh, Inez's friend, pops up, <sighs> and he starts uh, some shit, unfortunately, because he's very, uh, 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 there's a, he's a, uh, I, the words I come across, pseudo-intellectual. 
pandemic. Yeah, like a pseudo-intellectual because he thinks he, he, uh, he seems to be like the, like the, the, the knowledge of everything that he, he touches, but, uh, he's so stuck in his own head that it's, it's ridiculous. And, uh, uh, Inez gets very caught up, uh, in his thinking because she's so infatuated with him and. I guess they've been friends long enough, and she clearly's uh, crushing on him, and that impacts uh, her relationship with Gil. And because Gil, Gil is just very much, he's he's connected to Inez because he has this love for her, and he wants to marry her, and he has this deep uh, invested interest in the past because uh, he's a Hollywood writer and he's done successful screenplays, as uh, they talked about in the film. Not in so much a detail, but the fact that he was successful, and now he wants to write this like great novel, and he wants to be inspired by the past uh, to make something uh, so that the people of modern day can really uh, appreciate the classicism of literature and bring it back around. So he he's connected uh, in two ways. He's connected to Inez with his love and how he wants to marry her. He's also connected to. Uh, Paris and the classicism of it and being in the golden age uh, which would have been the 1920s in his in his vision so it's it sets up like a, a fascinating dynamic of uh, love interest it's the love interest of Inez it's this love interest with Paris and you you also have uh, Paul who's like the guy in the middle and throughout the movie Paul he says a lot of like stuck up things and it uh, it's obvious that he's very disconnected so stuck in his own reality. The thing is, oh, I disagree. Yeah, kind of uh, yeah. spouted off facts a lot. Yeah, well, and sometimes he messed them up. But Paul did, but is the embodiment of anyone who works in an office. There's that one guy who starts every sentence with "actually." <laughs> Gets me. Sometimes it's me too. So I'm throwing myself on this, but it's like. But there's some people in an office who will walk by and go, actually, this is what happened. I'm like, really? Like, That's more like a nerd. He was more like a snob. Oh, no. The, it's more pretentious. The snobbish end. It's, Pretentiousness, I guess yeah. they both can fit under. Yeah. What was this actor's name? This was Michael Sheen. That's Michael Sheen. About. Yeah. What did he do? He's in a lot of stuff. In the film? I mean, no, in general, like, like, what are the roles? Oh, he's like a, a British actor. He's been, remember him from like the the Underworld films. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, a soccer film. I can't think of the title at the moment. But he's in a lot of like British independent films. He was also like, in Sony Twilight. Just so you know. Oh yeah, that he was that dude in that movie. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I... he's actually quite funny. Uh, he's been on when Craig Ferguson used to have a TV show. I guess the two of them were uh, close friends, so he's actually quite funny. But at one point he was that's how I know Beckinsale, who was the underworld. I guess that's how we got into that, or I don't know if that's how they met or their backstory on that. But um, that was sort of his uh, beginning of relationship with her, and but I guess they divorced or something. But he's still around. What he's doing, I'm not entirely sure. But I feel like it was a little sloppy the way the whole. Oh yeah, we used. I used to have a crush on him. Thing, exposition right. was dropped, like a steaming turd, <laughs> just right there. <laughs> uh, you didn't need to. You, 
that was kind of like tell don't show you don't need to say that because just seeing the the characters interact and their relationship growing it's wicked obvious mm. that right. they, they got it they have a spark there so you don't need any silly lines like oh yeah i used to have a crush on him remember uh uh yeah i liked him no shit. And then you see it coming a mile away. Right. When they do that. That happens a couple times in this, though. And, right. and the, the relationship between them is very... It's odd because she's very uh, pushy and... Uh, I'm trying to find the right word. She's always, like, giving him direction and very... I don't know, just kind of something. And he's very... Just trying to, like, enjoy his time, value what he has... I mean, I, I don't want to like. I don't want to say any one of these characters are at all perfect by any means. They're all, but they're interesting idiosyncrasies and ways about themselves that make them, you know, however Alan built them out to be in the film. But I mean, the character we're supposed to <laughs> cling to is Gil, uh, which you're right, Kaz. But it's just the backdrop of Paris is very much a character to the entire film because without it, you know, it's just Gil, and he likes. Paris and it's like all right that's great so Paris is really an important character throughout the film just to be yeah see all the different locations yeah. uh, throughout Paris that it really brings the film around hmm. one of the funny parts I got a kick out of was when they were at the the Rodin Museum where you we meet uh, Carla Bruni uh the museum guide and uh Michael is of course uh not Michael uh Paul is given the uh the tour and decides to uh, challenge her a few times uh, to what she prompts him. No, that's not that's that's not true. <laughs> it's a really a bruise to his ego as he uh, he's like, no, no, that's not true. Uh, it was a comment about uh, Rodin and uh, one of his wives, uh, and I think he mentioned uh, he was uh, mentioned. Who was the wife or, and who was the meal. mistress? Yes, yeah. and he was flipping it around. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really fascinating. When that comes like, back around later, I laughed like hell. What monster was Rodan in Godzilla? Rodan was the pterodactyl. Godzilla? Oh, that's oh. Godzilla. Godzilla, okay. All right. Now, now I'm picturing a pterodactyl who paints. I mean, sculpts. <laughs> little tiny clothes. Oh, my God. So cute. Did you say with AIDS? I'm sorry. What? Oh, with little <laughs> tiny claws. Oh, claws. I heard something. Painting. Okay. <laughs> As you were. So, uh, let's see. Um, other notable spots throughout the film. Uh, the Garden of Versailles, which is uh, something they speak of uh, upon their first intro when Paul and his uh, his fiance, all people, Carol, uh, they meet uh, Gil and Inez at the uh, restaurant. How they're going to go to Versailles. You have to come with us to Versailles. And we're, of course, brought to uh, the palace and gardens of Versailles. Uh, Paul is the uh, nodal leader. Uh, as the couple makes a, another day trip uh, to, uh, I guess it's what it's called, the Chateau de Versailles. Uh, and he sp Paul spends uh, time uh, giving all the, the background history of Versailles. Uh, and Gil is just like not having any of it. He's just like, I'm there. <laughs> and Inez, of course, is like so infatuated with everything Paul has to uh, say. And she starts to interject with the fact that he's uh, making a book and... Um, uh, Gil explains how he's uh, he's uh, he works at a nostalgia shop, and uh, he's very much of nostalgia. And this is actually one of the the parts of the uh, actually for me like the point of the film where I really valued uh, Paul because beyond that he's kind of a like very like prudish or like stuck up and maybe he is offering good stuff, but he's just I don't know it's like he's just so stuck in his own head, which sucks. 
but um, he brings up the point of uh, how living in the past um, is something to do with pain. If I could uh, like get the quote up. Actually, I found a really cool quote. This is a professor of psychology at uh, Lemoyne College in New York. She said, uh, uh, it was Gill's journey through the past that helped him identify what was missing uh, in his present, and uh, that gave him the courage to take steps to correct it. And, but Paul, he references the past and how it's like this, uh, how it's just so painful to look at, uh, at the present, and by going into the past, it's, uh, an, es it's, uh, it's an escape. It's a way of escaping uh, the pain that we have in the, the present. And I really enjoyed how he said that, and because it's so, it's true. It's just we want to get stuck uh, in something that we really value uh, in the past. Uh, I personally miss February of this year. Uh, that was up to a good point, and uh, if I could go back to that, I would definitely like to go back to that, and I think we all would. <laughs> the, the oh yeah. Normal, the normality of 2020, mm -hmm. but. Uh, well, you know, in like the same but different, um, we can't because we're living in, you know, by doing so, we're only living in the past. And that's something we're, we're not allowed to, uh, we can we can value from the, the thought of it, but just to, to take the, to find a way to actually live it, it's uh, it's very difficult to do that at this time. What was Gil missing? Uh, Love? Passion? Likeability? What was Gil missing? <laughs> <laughs> um, Gil was missing know, what do you think? What appreciation. Is missing? Honestly, he was missing appreciation. He was missing the fact that he should be appreciated, appreciating what he has and the time he's in, and that's what he's missing. It seems kind of like Inez likes the city, but she was uh, visiting all this stuff, and Gil ironically was like party pooper. I don't want to go. I just want to sit and work on my book. I mean, I can kind of understand because she, he didn't really like Paul. And he obviously was picking up vibes. And if I were in the same situation, I probably would be the same thing. I would have I gone with them to make sure nothing funny happens. You should be able to trust your partner, though. Yeah, true. Yeah. And I think he did, naively. Like he said well, at the he end. Well, he did, definitely. Yeah. Denial. Yeah. Oh, he's a complete denial. Yeah. But I could totally relate to Owen Wilson here. Like, if you're going somewhere and you're like, I kind of want to do my thing, and then the crowd just carries you the other way. Right. You're like, oh, God. He's like, no. I. But this particular point, when you're talking about the restaurant, this is where it spelled the whole movie out for me. In that one line. Like, I knew exactly how it was going to end right then and there. Which restaurant? There when, a he, of... when they're, like, they're all introducing each other. Mm -hmm. oh. And he's like, oh, this is Paul. You remember Paul? This is fiance. And he's like, hey, we're going to go somewhere. And she's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and when he does that, it's like, there's the movie. Just to me, that just spelled it all out right then and there. I'm like, okay, now I'm getting kind of bored. It doesn't spoil the whole will he stay in the past or not question. No. Well, yeah, because it's not even advertised. Yeah, no, that's weird. Yeah, no. Like, that's the hook of the movie, so why right. wouldn't you say oh, but that? But I know we don't want to get too far off track, but... Yep. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, history of the film. Um, has anybody ever been to Paris? Anybody? I have not. I have no, not. unfortunately not. I'd like to. Definitely. I want to go eat their cheese. Right? 
I'm lactose intolerant. I'll do it. Oh, no. And I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> I gotta say one good thing about this in general. Like, it made me want to see Paris more in reality. Because I looked at him like, I want to check this out. I want to see Paris in the rain. I want to see Paris at midnight. I want to see all this other stuff. Right. And walk into bars and stumble around and walk into a laundromat. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my thoughts. I mean, seeing the famous stuff, it would be nice. But I like the little stuff. I like walking around. I like the atmosphere. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be like that. I'd be like, okay, let's go here. I want to see the Eiffel Tower. I want to see, you know, um, the Louvre. Um, hell, I'll go to Moulin Rouge. Sure. Um, but I kind of want to see the little stuff. I want to go to a bakery at like 6 a.m. and get real French bread. Um, Damn right. You know, stuff like that. Before it turns into a sword, legally. (laughs) Plus, the character at this point has already said that he, um, he's been to Paris before. Right. So he knows. Oh, yeah, Gil did say that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's been there. He loves it. Yeah. So he kind of knows all this stuff already. So I can kind of understand why he doesn't want to go. Like, right. Like, I've been here. I've seen it. Yeah. It's nice. I want to go do this. Plus, I'm a writer. It's my job. Let me go over here. Right. We're on vacation, technically, with your parents because your dad's doing business. So yeah. I'm going to go do my own thing. I was kind of hoping her dad was starting a new wrestling organization. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to wait until he asked her to put a lotion. I'm not familiar with this filmography, so... Uh, that's, um, from... Uh, well, he was the Vince McMahon-type character in that uh, No Holds Barred movie. Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also in um, Silence of the Lambs. I understood that reference. Okay. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, that's what I said. I was waiting for him to put a lotion. <laughs> Where were we in the movie? I'm sorry. We were talking about... Um, history of the movie? History. Yeah, there's a lot of cool historical characters that show up in the film. Oh, yeah. It's name dropped the movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wrote them down. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Who would you like to talk about, guys? Who do you have? Um, well, I, I want to say that's kind of a time travel trope, is everyone in the past is famous, I think it's called. Yeah, and they all know each other. And they all hang out. <laughs> You know, be careful dropping all those names. It's hard to pick them all up. Which is funny because if you go back and actually like research these people, yeah, some of them really did know each other, and yeah, they did hang out, um, and yeah, Ernest Hemingway did boink all of Picasso's leftovers. He really did. Um, but whenever I saw him, I was just like, "Show me your kitties." <laughs> <laughs> um. But some of these people was later. were actually either too old or too young to be in certain places. True. All right. One of them that was really interesting was um, Salvador Dali. Rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> There's this story about Salvador Dali while he became one of my most favorite bizarre artists solely on this story that a college professor told me. And I had the chance to verify it. Well, he's a surrealist. Oh yeah, but he's he was so he was so much of a prankster. Mm. And when he retired in Florida, he built a house that was in the shape of an eggshell. 
<laughs> well, an egg, basically. And he had, like, things that looked like broken eggshells all around, but it was just like a, the whole house was an art piece. But the part of this that was cool is his neighbors regularly did LSD. <laughs> and when they looked out the window and noticed that they were tripping, they got into astronaut costumes and then walked around really slowly around their yard. <laughs> It, it, it was the time it frame. Just, it was like 50s, 60s that he did this. And I think it was just one of the funniest things. And I just see, when you see, um, I don't know what the hell the guy's name is who played him. Adrian Brody. Thank you. Can't want to say Piano Man. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Guy who got to kiss Halle Berry. But when I saw him, it just it made sense. But it's just like, okay, sit down, tell me more. I am Dali. And I'm like, I wanted one more scene. <laughs> Just one more. Well, the only people <laughs> who have multiple scenes, really, from the past, are like Gertrude Stein and Adriana. Yeah. Picasso. Pablo. There's a few. Yeah. Kathy Bates had a few. That's why I said uh, Gertrude Stein. Gertrude, yeah. I mean, she was yeah, kind sorry. of a... She was kind of a play. Like, she was a trope. She had to be there. Yeah. I laughed at Picasso's painting. Yeah, they did too. Like, like, what the fuck is that? No, I can I can say very, very truthfully, I am not the biggest, I guess, art appreciator. Uh, I can't really pick out things like that. Like that. So, um, when they're going on about how it's it's, it's your sensuality, but. It's not her as a person. I'm like, is that supposed to be a person? <laughs> I know, right? And hey, I took all art history classes and shit, and I'm, I'm like, what? Nobody talks like that no. except maybe uh, people writing a fancy pants dissertation or something. Right. Like, but just chatting? I don't think anyone would really talk like that. No, and the color. I didn't understand how that, that worked at all. It's blue. It looked like the equivalent of a kindergartner bringing home their painting that they made that day. I'm just wondering how drunk he was. Yeah, but saying, <laughs> Mom, look what I did. Yeah. It looks just like you. Yeah. It's you, and that little blob is the dog. <laughs> now, a nice uh, Picasso painting was the portrait of Gertrude Stein hanging on the wall. Mm -hmm. Yes. Over a chair. Yes. So he had chops, but... Oh, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just looking at this oh, going. No, uh, <laughs> it's got an ass it's, sticking out. <laughs> it's a wibbly line. And blue usually means like calm. I don't really get sensual out of it. But whatever. A volcano. Yeah. But it's it's Gill's retort to Paul when they're looking at that painting that just made me crack up. Like, he finally had a moment to upstage somebody with facts that nobody's going to, you know, uh, is nobody's going to dispute him because it's so far to left field. And he's like, when he ends it with like, no one's going to know that she was just such a knockout. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, good, good, good <laughs> on you. Good on you. Because at this point, I'm like, well, there, there's a lot that I want to say for fantasy casting, but. Like, 
did anybody like Paul or like anybody here? I didn't. Um, I liked Gertrude Stein. (laughs) Um, Maybe not so much the way she, you know, appreciates art, but um, her opinion is valuable. And it teaches and thinks. Otherwise, not really. I mean, Gil was alright as a flawed main character, but... Uh, he he kind of lost me in the first few minutes with his one percenter problems. Yes. Yeah, I want to live here. Like, oh no, I'm a famous writer that everyone loves, and I get to work in the movies like most like people dream of and most can't achieve. But I'm I so I'm so disinterested. I'm, it's all cookie cutter. And... I, I am unfulfilled. I am. I am. What was it? Uh... He's not emotionally unfulfilled. Creatively unfulfilled. Yeah, just like the rest of us, but, you know, deal with it. You have a well, high-paying job. Mm-hmm. And a mansion in Beverly Hills. Right? Deal with it. And, right. like, oh, no, I don't know. I want to move to Paris. So fucking move to how Paris. Do you, how do you even move to another country without being, like, a rocket scientist or having a job lined up? Well, if you have the money, you can buy your way in. Is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just grease a few Because I meals. thought you had to be a rocket scientist oh, no. or no, no, have a job. It's the only reason I didn't escape to uh, Canada about four years ago. I don't have the money uh, to do it. Oh, yeah. More with most of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. If you can prove that you're going to, like, improve their economy, they'll let you in. They'll give you a visa. No problem. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it... Uh, well, a writer who could possibly bring more money from, like, Hollywood into Paris. Oh, yeah. They'll hand him a visa. Here you go. Or he could just say he was starting a project. They'll give him a work visa. You think it would have been a better, he would have been a better character if he was just some rando who wanted to write, like, most writers? Maybe. Um, the problem I had with him, and it wasn't even so much him... It was more, why did he deserve to time travel and meet all of these people? Because he was created to live dry. What makes him so special? I need a, somebody to be the main character. No, I get I didn't that. See it that <laughs> but, I didn't see it that he was special. It's just that it just happened. He, had, I, he happened to stumble upon that particular time rift. warp or something. Well, the yeah. other thing, too, is people just keep stopping and picking him up. Yep. Does he not understand stranger danger? Apparently not. Apparently <laughs> random people <laughs> in Paris just stop their carriages in the 20s and pick up random strangers. <laughs> For reasons? I don't know. Well, that's also kind of a European thing, too. Because I'm guessing- I have a good friend of mine, Brian, who moved out to Ireland... I know it's a different country, but kind of similar. But if you moved out there, you know, there would be many people who are like, oh, you can just live here. Or I got an extra couch. Come here. Like, I just uh, met you. Uh, yeah, but come on. Don't worry about it. Like, it just, like, doesn't matter. Are you a cannibal? Yeah, like, apparently, like, it's just, like, the norm. Like, you no, no, come on in. We, we can take care of you. And it's, like, general, like, through all of Europe. 
don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so... I, I Paris is like a city, though, and it's not rural. No. There's a lot of people there, and a lot of people who were poor or, you know, not really working in the high-end life. Right. You see some rando walking down the street, you're not going to pick him up because you don't know where he's from. And if you're high-end, you're not picking yeah. him up. I don't care what you say. But I think you're also thinking of our mindset, too. I'm thinking of the rich think- mindset, the one percenters. They are not going to pick okay. you up. Yeah. I think at this point we just got to say magic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's just enough that it be, it makes me it makes me believe it. Like, oh, this is a thing. See, it took me out. It took yeah. me out of it. it. Yeah. It just came out of nowhere, so I was just yeah. like, why? Maybe like they were champagne. drunk. Yeah. Well, they obviously drunk were. Drunk party goers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. They probably. It was the time. Didn't have the best judgment. <laughs> was it the twenties equivalent of? The equivalent of a tw- of a drunk guy at a bar going, "Hey, hey, mirror." I don't know. I don't go to bars. I mirror. don't either. So <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. Nah, that's kind of lost on me. Sorry. <laughs> um, I know we've been dancing, but Bob, Bob, what did yeah? What did you think? Like, what character really stuck out for you? Uh, let's see who stuck out for me. Um, the character I connected with was Gil. It's really his journey uh, through the past. It's meta. It's, uh, it's like a convoluted uh, concept of traveling through time. So it's a question of, are we really going back in time? Are we going back in uh, Gil's mind in time as we're seeing these characters so amplified in popularity? Uh, and looking, uh, somebody said hipster, which I, I can understand why, you know, would say that, but I mean, the, the, the hipsters of the the 20s are no different really than the hipsters of now. No. I mean, the, the character oh, not at all. past, I mean, the difference is they were little, literary heroes that people were significant to others of that time. I mean, they didn't have Instagram or Facebook to, uh, no. to influence or, you know, whatever it is. They're, the way they had output was uh, putting out books. Um, using their artwork, using their skills uh, in a different manner to uh, provide to the public to um, just to gain interest in their own self-worth or whatever they had to do. Um, so it, it's really hard to pick out one particular character. I mean, Adriana is a... She's not even real. She's invented. She's like this uh, combination of uh, muses that Picasso had uh, throughout his lifetime. They, like uh, Alan took like pieces of people that Picasso was into and so like oh let's call her uh, Adriana so for me I mean I'm this is a Gil's journey I mean everybody everything that's happening around him I mean I mean we're seeing like the the it, there's so much it's so dense I mean it, what fascinates me it's like a 90 minute movie and you can I mean there's something so lynch about it where you can see like so many aspects of it I mean, you can, like, try and break down a thing until it's broken down and there's nothing left and you can still walk away feeling like, I don't get it after the fact that you, you got it. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just, like, I, I really just enjoyed the entire thing. And 
I just I got a kick out of Owen Wilson just being like the gullible guy. I mean, when he first like goes back to the past, I love his expression on his face of being in that at that party, just stupefied. Like, how did I get here? His like, and he's <laughs> when he tries to go back with uh, Inez uh, the following night. He's like, yeah. I got drunk. He's like, I was with, I was right here. He's like, all right, we're gonna wait, we're gonna wait right here. And so she gets, she gives up on him, and she ends up uh, leaving to go home. And he's just trying to recount his steps. Like, I did, did I do everything right? <clears throat> you know, did I miss something? He goes, uh, and then he points and he goes, then the uh, the bell rings at midnight. He goes, and then the bell rang at midnight. And then there, there's the uh, the Pugo, like, you know, just showing up. And yet we have a new set of uh, characters from the past that uh, wow, welcome into the vehicle. And then he's, like, carried off into this new uh, landscape of the past. And it's really fascinating. I mean... So I, uh, my, I mean, the character I valued most is uh, Gil. I mean, what Alan did was he, he, he didn't go into too much depth about the these characters uh, from history. He did find um, key elements that we, the audience, could uh, connect with. Uh, Hemingway was always ready for a fight, and Hemingway was that type of a person. He carried around like a shotgun with him wherever he went. Yeah, he was, he was good like with that. that type of a rough and tough kind yeah. of dude. Hem- Hemingway was a very um antagonistic drunk he liked to fight yeah he liked to be argumentative yeah. he was abusive yeah um oh yeah. he was a literary You're the best writer genius you want a box yeah he was a literary genius and a shit person very much so mm-hmm. i hope he wasn't shit to his cats uh probably not honestly they were probably the only things he loved does everybody know what we're referencing that Oh, you never heard of Hemingway cats? No. That's another nickname for polydactyl cats. Oh. Because he had a bunch of six-toed cats. That doesn't surprise me. Post it in the Discord so we can see it. What is that? Kitties with Um, extra feet. I'll try to find it. (laughs) Extra toes. Like Nudge. Yeah. Extra little toe Basically, at the the Hemingway (laughs) house... In um in Key West, Florida. Yes, yes. There, there's a whole bunch of polydactyl cats that are like legally pro- yeah, they're descendants from his cats. Okay, I'm sorry. And I did know this. Yeah. Um, and they're legally protected, yeah. Yeah. That's um, why I'm like, Hemingway, show us your kitties. I found it. Right. So it's the Hemingway home and then there's a whole story on all these cats that he has. And I'm gonna put I'm going to put this on our page later um, for anyone else who's listening and wants to reference it. I'm also putting it in the fan side of the of the Discord. But there's a, all these cats. There's like 200 or 300 of them that have range rain of the ground. Like they just they just go they just go wherever they please. And according to Hemingway's will and basically everything else, like. They own the place, I think. Um, I know they're protected. And I know there's a plaque. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just had to bring up the cats. Oh, yeah. I'm waving at our polydactyl cat right now. (laughs) Oh, are they a polydactyl? Yeah. Nudges. What is that? What's polydactyl again? What's that? Extra toys. When they have, basically, like, they have two paws on each, uh, well, four paws in the front. Yeah, like well, it It's actually referenced in um, one of my favorite books. Uh, written, oh. Yeah, um, it's a sci-fi book written by Spider Robertson, 
It's called Callahan's Key. Um, and oh. it references um, a lot of people, actually. Um, Hemingway, Tesla, um, oh, uh, Robert Heinlein. Um, because one main character in Heinlein's books was a cat named Pixel. Um, in fact, the word Pixel comes from Heinlein. It's a good book. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, Bob, you were talking about history. History's pretty cool, yeah. I don't know much more to add about it. I'll jog this a little bit, but in the present, he sees the old the old record players and hears the Cole Porter music, but then meets the girl who runs the shop. Do you think she was that important? I think she shows that in the end, because he goes off walking with her and she likes the rain too, um, that he found somebody he was more compatible with in the present and that he is capable, that there is a difference between uh, appreciating the past while not being stuck in it. Right. Right. She sold antiques and they could both appreciate antiques, but they're in the present. Yeah, they're more like kindred spirits. Um, And she complimented him a little bit better than obviously his uh, fiance. That's kind of interesting that you said that, because I'm thinking the same thing, but they only had two scenes together. I know, but and they were significant Rachel, scenes. Yeah. And Rachel McAdams and Owen Wilson had multiple times where they crossed paths. And they were wicked incompatible. Com- incompatible. I'm sorry for tripping over my words. Um... I can hear myself in my earphones, and it completely throws me off. So that's why I sound like um, I'm talking like William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> well, no worry, because it happens to me, and I used to take I have to take one ear off, and I can hear myself in one ear, but then I'm just I'm able to rattle on. Hey, did you guys know that this was Quentin Tarantino's favorite movie of 2011? I did not. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. No. Yep. Seriously, it really doesn't surprise me. Because if you look at this and you look at his movie Death Proof, I know it's two totally different types of movies. Yeah. But it's so dialogue driven. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Then, and Tarantino writes dialogue very, very well. So that doesn't surprise me at all. I would compare it. I would be more tempted to compare it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the nostalgia. Yeah. I love that movie. That was a good movie. Oh, man, me too. Me too. That was fucking fantastic. <laughs> I haven't seen it, Sorry. honestly. I don't know. I prefer yeah. Planet Terror. Don't expect a story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But apparently it's better on the second time around. I hate that. Yeah. Like when you know what's coming. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting. Now, Rachel McAdams, Ina's... I think the scene, I just want to come back for a moment. Mm-hmm. Like, it shows another scene. I don't think we needed this. But where he drags her out, he's like, oh, I'm going to show you something amazing. You're not going to believe it. Wow. And, yeah, wow. And, and she just, like, gives up almost in real time, like, sits on the steps for 60 seconds and goes, no, this isn't, this isn't for me. 
Bye, I'm going home. Bye, taxi. I think the time was... Passage of time was implied. I don't, I don't think so. I think it was just really bad writing. I think it was really bad writing in general. Because in order for us to really feel good about Gil, like... She needed to be a bitch? You had to... Oh, yeah, you had to take her bitch meter and just, like, really bring it up to the top. It wasn't that bitchy. She was just kind of, like, incompatible. She was kind of bitchy. Um, no, she had a complaint about every, every fucking oh, thing. Oh, the, the thing with the moon moonstone The jewelry, moonstone yeah. and the earrings. That pissed me off. Now, granted. I don't even wear them. <laughs> no, granted. Yeah, he stole them. He had them. Yeah. He was going to give them to another woman. Um, you know, that, the that aggravated Dan. Um, oh, I know exactly why that yeah. aggravated you. It also aggravated me for hopefully the same reason. He but, doesn't like infidelity. Yeah, I mean, okay. He, there may not have been physical cheating that happened. They may or may not have actually slept together. But he he did this fully intending to have that happen. So yeah. that's a, that's emotional yep. infidelity right there. That's like, I agree. That's, Almost as well. I would say as bad. It's you know, pretty like, much as bad. Like be a grown up and talk to your significant other. It's not that hard. Oh, it's just as bad. Yeah, that's part of that when that happened, and I you can yeah. understand the attraction to uh, to Adriana because yep. she's exotic and she's yep. from the time period that he idolizes and yep. really like loved. So I understand the attraction, absolutely. See, and, and attraction's one thing. I mean, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu, but it's what you do that right. defines whether you're a decent person or not. Like, temptation will always be there. How you react right. to it is what determines if you're a decent person or not. And in my opinion, Gil's a terrible asshole. The, yeah. the minute he does that, I soured on him completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, completely. Yeah. Simply because at that point, he should have known. I don't care how much denial you have. He should have known that he wasn't happy in his relationship. And he knew that there was something off. I don't care. And he still deliberately stole his girlfriend's earrings and was going to give them to another woman because she wrote in a diary that she dreamt of getting earrings from and them making love all night. And he went with the specific intention to do that. And the only reason he got busted was because she gave back early. And then I got pissed at her because, yes, the earrings were missing. She, she had a perfect right to be worried. But her immediate jump is the maid that she couldn't have possibly put them where else. Somewhere else in the building? Right. Mm -hmm. No, it was the maid. Because the maid, you know, said something or looked a certain way or probably gave her a little bit of attitude because she's kind of a bitch. And that immediately calls for the woman to be fired and, you know, the, the, the hotel detective to be called. No. I got to jump in on that. Maybe she has a routine of putting them away in a spe that specific place. And that's yeah. fine. But it didn't seem that way. 
Ritzy hotels do not have a detective on hands. I don't know about France because it's not the first time I've heard that. Uh, I've worked in the tourism industry for almost a decade and a half. And I can tell you honestly, like, that was just kind of like, no. What about a hotel doctor? I never heard of that. Hotels hotels will have a doctor on retainer. Probably on call, yeah. But on call somewhere nearby or just like, if. but it has to be like the Hotel Bristol, which is a legit hotel, is pinkies out la-di-da. Mm. So... <laughs> They would have somebody like that, but it wouldn't be like a doctor who is at the hotel. Who's playing cards in the back with the security guard? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shoot. No one is sick today. (laughs) What? You have a a headache? Oh, you need cigarette. (laughs) Why? Because we're French. Cigarettes and bring Robin Williams. I got that from Robin Williams. I did. <laughs> I have cigarette to BB because I'm French. A <laughs> <laughs> concierge can give you tickets to Disneyland. <laughs> Mickey with cigarette going, I never fucking love Nikki, you know that? <laughs> Three fingers, what am I, bowling ball? Fuck off. <laughs> I want to. Live up Broadway. <laughs> I want to circle back um, sure. to the diary, though, because when he finds the diary. Um, That's a coincidence. It's coincidence, yes. It's. Kind of the MacGuffin. Um, But that right there shows that it's not all in his head. Because he has a a French woman read it to him because he can't read French. So that right there kind of shows it in reality. And because at first when I was watching it, I was like, maybe this is all in his head. Maybe it's all in his head. Yeah. Maybe it's all in his head. Maybe... He's, he's having maybe, vivid hallucinations. Yeah, like yeah. he's he's maybe depressed, and he created this world where he's around all these interesting interesting people, and he himself becomes more interesting because of it. And then yeah. you get the diary, and you get this woman reading the diary to him, and that right there shows okay, this is real. Do you think the movie would have been better if it left it a mystery? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, I think it would have. Now, see, I liked the premise of this movie. I liked the idea of it. I just didn't like any of the characters. Like, it didn't see... And I know it's kind of like a... It's random random that Gil found this time warp or whatever it was. But it, it didn't seem like he deserved it. Mm. Kind of thing. It's like, th- this movie could have done a whole bunch of things different and just been better in that regard. Like, leaving that that bit from before, leaving that ambiguous, I think would have worked out better. Having a main character who wasn't so intensely dislikable would have done a lot better. Like, who who identifies with the super rich, aside from the super rich? And there's not that many of them. You know? No. Yeah, it's, it's hard no. to put yourself in his shoes. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Now, I can put myself in his shoes um, for feeling dissatisfied, feeling inadequate, feeling um, down on yourself because you don't feel that you're doing everything you can to outlet your creativity and that you're stunted. 
I can understand all that. No problems. That I get. But you add yeah. in the element of the first person problem, and it takes me right out. Agreed. I absolutely agree. I have something in fantasy casting that a plot suggestion and a twist that may help okay. change it around. Okay. Sure. I know. Um, Are we there yet? Yeah. Bob, I don't know where you intend us to have, to have us be. I don't know. I go to fantasy casting. Go ahead. So my fantasy casting, I only have two roles to switch, but it's with this premise change. Okay. You take Gil and Inez, and instead of that, the fact that they're going to get married, they were in a relationship. Okay. You okay. Take away Paul, take away his wife, which was just useless, and, you know, just they were in a relationship, they were going to go to Paris, and they've been split up for a while, but it's a trip that's non-refundable, and they have to go. Okay, I was going to say, so, how do you get them both in Paris at that point? But all right. right. So it's like, they got the time off. They're like, okay, let's go. They still kind of have feelings towards each other. But you had a little bit of backstory to this that they kind of felt they were compatible, but they wanted to give it another shot. Hmm. So Paris might be good. So it takes away all the cheater stuff. Okay. And they just go for it, and they just try to see what it's like. Okay, let's go to Paris, the romantic city, see if there's anything, let's try it. She likes Paris during the day, but she ha she is more than just the bitchy fiancé. You know, maybe she's a writer as well. Give but her she more likes depth. it during the day, doesn't like it during the rain. Did they? And I also noticed that any time Rachel McAdams was dressed, she was dressed the opposite color of Owen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else picked that up. Yeah. I was just like, why are you wearing those kinds of shoes to go yeah. shopping? Right? Walk around. Well, I was just kind of right. thrown off by the very first yeah. outfit she was wearing. It's like, why are you wearing a belt with a dress? Isn't it all one piece? Oh, you cut out. You cut out. I say, why are you... The, the first outfit she had on at the beginning of the movie, it's like, why are you wearing a belt with a dress? Isn't it all just one piece? Like, where's the... What's Thank the you. belt going to do? Breaks up the shape. Kind of like Superman's underpants. <laughs> yeah but Bob I think that was something you might have caught on with the opposite dress too did you see that I can't hear you I'm sorry did you pick up on the fact that Rachel McAdams and Owen Wilson were always having the difficult col different colors they had different colors what do you mean yeah, like on their, the whatever Owen Wilson was wearing whatever whatever color Owen Wilson had in his clothes she always had the polar opposite Oh, wow. That's interesting. She had a dark suit. She always had a white dress mm. and vice versa. There's they also, never matched. Well, there's also another scene um, where the color really stood out to me. Um, and it was in the uh, the hotel when he's trying to steal the earrings. And she comes back in. That entire scene is so yellow. Like, yeah. most of the movies tinted that, but this was, like... This is vibrant like, yellow. Violently yeah, yellow. Like, it, it really drew out, it, yeah. It was... And, it was important because it was showing sort of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and it and, really felt like that. 
And this change would would have just made that scene a lot easier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because if they've been separated for a while and he took a pair of earrings, it was like, oh, God, these are yours. And it would have made sense that her parents were there because it's like she's like, well, you know, they're like, well, you got to get rid of this. You got to go. Like, don't go. Don't don't fall into this again. Remember why you left? And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you got all that floating there. So you, you retool it a little bit and it would have made it easier. Now, what you need is you need two characters who are a little older. Two actors who are a little older, excuse me. Besides the parents? Yes. But for Gil and Inez. Oh. Well, I think Gil's okay. Well, the- I think Inez needed to be a little older. Because Rachel okay. McAdams always looks like she's like 25. Mm-hmm. I I can understand. I but, didn't hear that. Uh, she Rachel McA- Rachel McAdams always looks like she's like 25. Yeah. She's got like a Agreed. she's got very nice skin. Um yeah. but she has like a baby face. So, so even now she still looks like she's 25. Yeah. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> I wish so, I wish they had given her character a bit more depth because agreed. the way yeah. I saw her was a shallow pool. Yeah. She, I mean, yeah, the only thing she was was just an anti to Gil and Gil had all this backstory. Yeah. So if you make her a writer and she's getting inspired by the day and he's getting inspired by Midnight to Paris. It brings a little bit hour, more. Add maybe a yeah. half hour, 40 minutes to the movie because she's doing her thing too. It brings so, more depth. Um, yeah. Uh, conflict. It brings yeah. more conflict into it. Because there really okay. isn't that much real conflict. You've got some minor conflict with her sort of animosity, animosity towards him. Yeah. For... Not and, being as into it as she is and trying to go off and do his own thing. Um, but Right, there's, there's different motivations. Right. But there isn't really a major problem, I guess. I guess no. There's, there's no real, like, anything massive to resolve. And I'm not saying it has to. Um, it just would have, I think it would have made it a little bit easier for me. I don't know. Agreed. You mean if he was having, he was having some kind of problem with this book, like right. writer's block was his problem. Yeah. Yeah. He had to change a few chapters and whatever happened to his damn book. Something. Uh, can... Gertrude Stein gave it, it just... back. Um, she gave it back. He went back during the day, uh, rewrote some of it, gave it back to her. Um, she read, the updated chapters, she gave those chapters to Hemingway to read as well. But he's not yeah. on screen at that point. Um, and she tells him, Hemingway, you know, that said this was good, but you're... He, he doesn't think this is really um, in reality because this character should have already figured out that his girlfriend is cheating on him. And he, right. you know, real life doesn't work that way. And that's when Owen Wilson says, denial. 
But I guess he, we don't know if he ever finished his book. We don't know. And it's left ambiguous for that. And that's okay. I'm going to assume that he did. I'm going to assume that because he's more comfortable where he wants to be and who he is as a person and that he's learned to appreciate where he is, I'm going to say that, yeah, he probably did. But we don't know. And, and I can understand all that. So I think if we make everybody older... And just it would be a little more interesting because you need to have somebody in that role who plays that older type who has experience, who's done this, but then sees something new. So my recommendation for Gil is to have George Clooney. Hmm. And for Inez, you have Catherine Zeta-Jones. I mean, I I always like seeing Catherine Zeta-Jones and things, so I could... (laughs) I can dig that. I because forgot what you did. What she was in. Catherine Zeta-Jones? She does a lot of stuff. I just... In Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. I, those are names I know, but I'm not familiar with their filmography. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. She started... At least I remember her in, like, The Mask of Zorro. Um, yes. She was also in... Was um, uh, that Sean Connery movie. Um... It's one of the last ones he did. Oh, that's gonna bother me. The one with the bears? Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, she was also in American Sweethearts. She's American Sweethearts. Yep. Um, I'm not familiar with these. That, that's uh, a fun movie. Uh, she was also in um, oh, what the hell? Oh, Rock of Ages. She actually has a really nice voice. Oh yeah. Yep. High Fidelity, Traffic, mm-hmm. Chicago. Chicago, yes. Also, there. I wanted to point something out, because Dan just said um, America's Sweethearts. Yes. In the beginning of America's Sweethearts, there's a a scene, or what would have been the beginning. It's a very weird movie. But um, she sings Cole Porter. <laughs> yeah. And then... They played that Cole Porter song in this movie, and I'm like, okay, I can only think of her singing it, or Hank Azaria actually singing it. And then they play another Cole, another Cole Porter song, and all I could think of was Tank Girl. Yep, and it's also the intro to that, uh, you've been watching Secret Life of the American Teenager, and that's their intro, intro song on every bloody episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was better in Tank Girl, though. Yes. So, do we roll for this? Sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. You got it. Let's see. I got a... We got a 28. That's a plus. That'll do. Right. All right. So, my fantasy casting... Replace Owen Wilson with Wilson the Volleyball from Castaway. God. And change, <laughs> change nothing <laughs> else... <laughs> Everyone reacts as if he had said lines or everything, and it's just a volleyball. <laughs> 23, just barely made it. Does that change anything so pivotal? Mean, I mean, not really. I Did just, he just kind of roll into the car? 
Yeah, pretty much just kind of just like flops into the car. You never actually see him move. He just kind of falls over. <laughs> I'm just picturing that scene of like, hey, come here, come here, come here. And this drunk guy just picks up the picks up Wilson the volleyball and starts feeding him champagne. It makes oh, the kissing scene so awkward. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> Where he's saving Zelda fix Gerald from jumping into the river. Yeah, that's he could be a flotation device. <laughs> he trips her up. <laughs> oh, she is. Oh, he is. He is a flotation d- device. You're right. I didn't even think of that. I mean, I, I don't know if volleyballs float, but I f- uh, think they do. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But uh, what if you replaced him with his character from Zoolander 2 so he has that little mask on his face (laughs) and then he becomes the Phantom of the Opera? That changes everything. Sincerely. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Um. This is 39! Wow. Fuck. So now it's uh, Phantom of the Opera with a um, male model. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, and then he's unmasked at the end, and, and everyone's like, what, that's it? Yep. It's a, a, a tiny scar? Went to deliver you googly, Xander. <laughs> Zoolander. Well, Z, I don't care. <laughs> what about Inez with uh, Ben Stiller? <laughs> At Zoolander. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to see paintings, okay? <laughs> no, Dice don't like that. Nope, Dice don't like Aww. that. So he stole my earrings. That was like a, was was like a 19, right? It was an 18. Ah, fuck. Ah. Here's oh, one. Mm. For a director... Okay. Or whatever. Or a writer, whatever. Um, he did both. Adam Sandler. Oh my. No. And, and no. he just wants to go on vacation. But that's what happens. That's all said. Adam Sandler movies. That's the vast majority of his films. Like, I wanted to go to Hawaii. Didn't this kind of seem like one of, not like one of those exactly, but sort of like, I love this place so much, I gotta go there. Kind of. I mean, Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I can feel that. I can see it. Alright. <laughs> I just... Oh look, that's Cole Porter. It would be a little. It would be a little mm, more relatable. I don't know. I'm not the biggest <laughs> fan of Adam Sandler, so at least some of his movies, anyway. So, well, well, let's but I see. don't think. Uh, it's an 18. Oh. Because <laughs> I was thinking. Oh, crap. Um, at least Gil wouldn't be some kind of uh, one percenter. He'd probably be a regular guy. You know, I could... But he'd be more insufferable. Oh, uh, maybe. I, yeah. Well, he would... It wouldn't be so much insufferable as he'd be an You're idiot. You're He'd be an idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, French. Oh, God. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's like, um, what movie was it? Was it Just Roll With It? Where it's like, Oh, Just Go With It. Just Go With It, where it, where we have to... Or she and Lady Tender Pants. Like, in Just Go... Chino, shush. I agree, Chino. 
and just go with it. We ha- we are led to believe that uh, Adam Sandler is a plastic surgeon, which is difficult for me to parse in the room. Oh, room-end. God. <laughs> yeah, he's actually more relatable in um, the other one, where he's the manager of a Dick's Sporting Goods. Yes, that makes more sense to me. That's that's the one where they went to where everybody went to Africa. They went to Africa, yeah. yes. Um, Just go with it. Was uh, the the uh, Hawaii trip? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We gotta make a movie. <laughs> My friends wanted to go to Africa. We're gonna make a movie. <laughs> Come on, get it up there. Don't get the muscly guy too. Yeah. <laughs> See. Wow. I would be fine with this movie if, um, yeah, if he wasn't a one percenter. If he was, like, maybe a famous writer who hasn't had a hit in a very long time. Like, he had a couple mm-hmm. of bestsellers. And he's creatively stuck instead of being, like, a screenwriter for Hollywood. That everybody loves. Hmm? Yes. According to what That everybody loves. Yeah, yeah. That's what she was saying, yeah. Um, I would be... Self-insert much? I <laughs> <laughs> See, that that was the other issue for me. Like, just the whole... Woody Allen is gross. And it just kind of hurt mm-hmm. the rest of the movie, for me, anyway. I feel like at least he wasn't starring in it. That would have yeah. made it... Yeah, yeah because it's easier to was, distance yourself. He's got a thing where he most... When he, the movie's in, all of his love interests are these young, beautiful women, and he's this old man, um, because it kind of reflected his real life. Well, soon ye. I'm, I'm not even getting into it. Oh, jeez. Um, so, it was nice to see someone else that wasn't him playing the character of him because that's that was written um that uh he kind of went over with 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 Owen Wilson um the way the character was because he based the character off himself because every single Woody Allen movie is self-insert fan fiction yeah yeah he writes one movie a year not all of them get produced, but yeah. And they're always mm. the the lead character is always some sort of weird twist on himself. I mean that that Bob. Do you know any more about Woody Allen more than we do? I mean, I'm just going by uh, reviews. Yeah, because I admit I don't know that much. Um, I don't know. You just have to take a dig through his catalog and just start anywhere. Start with his uh, stuff from the '70s. Um, See if you like his New York-based uh, uh, stuff, and then just jump around, really. I mean, there's so much stuff from him out there. I mean, the first thing you can find, give it a shot. Don't like it? Try something else. Still don't like it? Give up. <laughs> it's up to you. Um, really? This was his 41st movie, so he's got he's, a decent catalog. There's a few to pick from. Yeah. 41st, wow, okay. Yeah. There's, yeah, he's got, really? He's, yeah. He's got a few. I have questions on what you just said, though, Bob. I mean, is it something that you can just, you could bounce around with? Or is it something like like Tarantino? Or is it something like 
Oh, God. Um, you have to go in no, order. You were trying to get at, uh, is Woody Allen a, uh, a cinema universe uh, builder? No, he's a uh, he's just a filmmaker. I mean, everything is a film. He he has a passion for New York, so you'll, you'll see a section of his filmography which is uh, based in New York. And New York will be... Yeah. Again, a uh, character. You know, it's not a main character. Maybe it's a supporting character, but it's the character in the film. It basically a has a life of its own. Above it. And then he might take a break. I mean, before, I think after this one, when he got to the early to uh, 2010s, he did uh, this one. Then there was Vicky, Christina, Barcelona. So he started moving into a more European... <coughs> Uh, background rate related film and so it's all up to him where he, he goes but I mean if anything that's what if there's uh, what connects the movies uh, the backdrop that's his connection really I'm curious because like you know Dan Dan said it like you know Woody Allen has a gross history to him yes yeah, so I, I yeah I kind of divert from his movies yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I know it was written as like one review I I read of this movie was it was the first movie that whoever this whoever wrote it whoever wrote the review um whoever wrote the review like noticed there was nothing to do with New York or nothing to do with the Jewish community. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like, but I know I know really nothing about Woody Allen. Well. I said this to Dan, and this applies to some people, not all, but some. Um, mm -hmm. You can love the art and hate the artist. Like I said, it doesn't apply, it's not a general application. It's, it's not a universal thing, but... No. Like, but like, okay, for example, mm -hmm. I would not watch anything that Roman Polanski did. Yeah. No, I refuse. Um... Just on the basis of him being a convicted rapist. And the yeah. fact that he fled extradition um, for raping a 13-year-old girl. And admits to it. It's gross. I have no respect. Um, the guy who I believe wrote and produced any of the Jeepers Creepers movies... Um, he is a pedophile, a convicted and arrested pedophile. Mm -hmm. He is still making movies. He's making horror movies, as far as as far as I know. I won't watch them. Bill himself. Uh, wait, which uh, what band was it? Uh, Lost Prophets. Lost Prophets. Yeah. The lead singer is a horrific monster. I won't even get into detail about what he did. If you really want to look it up, just do an incognito window because you probably don't want that on your search history. But I like the Lost Prophet's music. I hate him so much. He's horrible. It's like, but you have, you can, you have to sometimes just separate the art from the artist. I would really like someone someone else to redo that music. Yeah. Because the songs are good. The songs are good. The guy's He's a monster. He's an awful person. He's a monster. Right. Oh. Yeah, so... Dying. Yeah. So it... It's... But it, of course, art is all subjective to everyone. And the way I... The way I see things, 
nobody else has to see that. This is just me, and this is how I feel. I mean, as we critique flicks, and I mean, as much as I, I don't hate the movie myself, but I mean, like, I'm like, I'm leaning right in the middle, where it's like, yeah, it, it's good, but you know, we spent the entire day talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just between Kaz and I, and. You know, it was the first time in about a month that we did not talk about anything else. Like, besides the obvious stuff going on in the world right now. So it's like, okay, we chatted about this, we kind of prepped this, so I I really enjoyed the experience. Even though this wasn't, like, the greatest movie in the world to me. It was a lot better than a lot of other movies. It wasn't Existo. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, God. Yeah, it, that's, that's the clear <laughs> benchmarker. It was yeah, not Existo. But so we still haven't well fully forgiven you for that, Nick. Yeah. And this was actually it's way nice better than a lot of them. A, a movie that makes a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See? It's so. nice to have a movie that makes you think. Yep. Yeah, so Bobby did good, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did real good. I think this is a good segue into my month's theme. Yep. Go for it. Past futures. Dun dun dun. This is yeah, this, this one's been a big discussion in our private chat. I've been well, looking over the list. I've been looking over the list that uh, Kaz came up with, and I'm just like, ooh, I like this one, this one, and maybe we can do this order and this that. I'm liking this theme very much. Movies that take place in what was the future but is now the past, and we will start with the sci-fi musical comedy. Just Imagine from 1930, where we get to see the futuristic world of 1980. We're going to be in flying cars, and we'll all have those yes. weird rings on our shoulders. Yes, we are. Yes, or airplane. I do but, want to yeah. point out that that um, 1980 was before everybody in this cast was born. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe it was like that. Who knows? Yeah, we had a terrible <laughs> decline in two years. <laughs> and then moments <laughs> happened. <laughs> We've actually done one movie in the past that I can remember off the top of my head that is, all, that is technically a past future. Uh, a while back when we did uh, the Transformers animated movie, uh, it was oh. one of my picks, that was set in the futuristic world of 2005. So yeah, we've we've already touched on this topic just a little bit, and I think this is going to be a fun month. And one of the things to bring up is, well, actually two things. If you've noticed, dear listeners, if you've had this for a while, you've noticed on your couch or a choice, the TV Time Machine episodes have popped up, and that has been very recently that that will stay up momentarily, uh, but then we'll go back behind for exclusive members. But we will also do next, uh, probably next week, you'll notice on our patron.podbean.com slash mttimemachine, there will also be a special for TV Time Machine called What Are You Binging About? Where we talk about the Medal of Honor, uh, a series that's done on Netflix that I think is absolutely important that needs to get out there in the world. It's profiling eight soldiers of the U.S. military who have received the Medal of Honor and why. And it's super important that we do that. The first episode will be for free, and the rest of them will be, will be for the exclusive members. And hopefully 
we can get a lot of people listening to this because it's super important that you have to know everybody's stories. And just a spoiler alert, each episode, when you watch this on Netflix, you will be Googling the soldier that they profile to see if they survived the battle. Six out of eight of them did do it. Only two did not survive that battle Hmm. and were awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously. But it's eight amazing stories, and I'm working on that very soon, actually. Cool. So, heads up with that. That is something that's coming. Okay. Uh, I could use some suggestions for TV Time Machine this month. It's got to be something Star Trek or something. When, when was the, uh, the Jetsons uh, set in? Oh, that it's in the future from now. All right, no, so that... That was a Harvey Birdman joke about 2002. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. I made a visual joke on a non-visual meme. <laughs> Medium. Um, well, Dang, if anybody knows, put it in the, uh, yeah, feel the free, Discord. Feel free to stop by our yeah. fan yes. server on the Discord. Uh, it's uh, up on our uh, Facebook wall. The invite link should be, should be a permanent one. If anything goes wrong, post about it in our Facebook group and I can fix it. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure there's got to be something from the original Star Trek where they've gone to the some kind of future that's already passed. Well, they went to Cowboy Planet, they went to Gangster Planet, <laughs> they went to everybody's half black, half white, and I don't mean like, you know, skin tone, I mean literal like Pantone black and matte, matte white, just, yeah. Ah, uh, Star Trek. So take us out. Alright, be good, take care of yourself, but don't be too good.